Good day, listeners. It's your man, Dame DNYDC, host of the Two Mics Up podcast. And we are here today with a amazing story. You know, we were uh, had the privilege of having today's guest on, you know, we're closing out Black History Month and thought this woman would be a great example of Black history. What she is doing here in Virginia is really historic. I like to think of it as history in the making that we are having the pleasure of watching transpire right before our eyes. And I'm just so excited that, you know, her, her people and I were able to work this out. And least yes. I cannot tell you, you know, I met her once. Uh, she probably doesn't even remember, you know, this was in <laughs> our infancy, but had the pleasure of meeting her once. And I, you know, I was pleasantly surprised. Didn't really know much about her. I know she's in, from my backyard, you know, up in Woodbridge, but had to do a little more digging. And, you know, I'm glad we, we have her here today. But I think you've met her once or twice, maybe more than that, I think, Lisa, correct? Yes, I have. I have met Miss uh, Jennifer Carroll Foy uh, on several passing occasions. And it was so intriguing to me because I was like, who is this woman? And what is she? Because she's talking my language, right? And then I'm like, okay, let me do a little um, digging. And um, my cousin, Kim Cummings, she definitely informed me. And then I went hard and uh, delegate Joshua Cole, who's my delegate. And I was like, okay. So I had the pleasure of sitting in on the special assembly and when Miss Miss mm. uh, Carol Foy was speaking, I was like, "Okay, now," because it was like, <laughs> "Okay, this is this is what we need in 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 Virginia." So mm. I did have the pleasure, and we did have a brief um, encounter up in Prince William, where she did graciously give us some time on two mics up when we were out in the field. Sure did. So, without further ado. Because I'm not going to even keep talking. I'm going to go ahead and open up the floor to today's guest, Jennifer Carol Foy. Jennifer, I'm going to please introduce yourself and let our listeners know, you know, who you are, what you're about, and what what history are you in the process of making? Uh, this Absolutely. Year so I want to thank you so much for having me. It is always exciting to be here with you all. Um, and I am Jennifer Carol Foy, and I'm running for governor in Virginia. And when I win. I will be the first black woman governor in the history of our country. So that's the black history that we're making here in Virginia. And so I'm excited. I'm excited because now we have an opportunity to have a working mom represent working families. The wealthy and well-connected have had a lot of representation in Richmond, but what about the communities that have been ignored, neglected, and left behind? Too many Virginians are working 40 hours a week, bringing home $14,000 a year. We are not seeing that safety net that so many families need to make it successfully out of COVID. And we see the disparate impact on brown, black, and other marginalized communities. But let's be clear, this didn't start because of COVID. It started a long time ago because of the inequities in our healthcare, in our education, in our economy, in our environment. And that's why we need a real leader who's right for this moment, who's gonna address those inequities in a real way, who's not gonna give us lip service or false promises because you can't feed your family on that. You can't pay your rent and your mortgage on that. And so why is it that is so many schools in Virginia just as segregated, unfunded now as they were in the 60s? So that says that a lot of you know the status quo 
is broken and that's not what's gonna work. So we don't get changed by electing the same old policies and politicians of the past. We get changed by electing a new leader with a clear vision and bold ideas on how to move us forward. And that is exactly why I'm here and why I'm running for governor. Wow. Nice. Okay. Yeah, all, all right, Miss Floyd. <laughs> all right, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm speechless. I'm going to think back on that one. Right. Well, if we had to just hold on that intro, um, you got me. But um, I know that you are exactly. a native of Virginia. You are from Virginia. You're from um, Petersburg, Virginia. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. And how, yeah. So how was, um, how did that, uh, you know, shape you? How was growing up in Petersburg? Mm -hmm. So Growing up in Petersburg, and for those of you on the call who don't know, I can say that Petersburg has one of the highest child poverty rates, rates of unaccredited schools, and was named one of the most dangerous places to live per capita in all of Virginia. And that's where I'm from. But wow. luckily, I was raised by my grandparents, especially my grandmother, Mary Lee, a Southern Christian woman who had me in church several days a week, who taught me the values that I hold true. And so she always said things like, if you have it, you have to give it, right? And so even though she didn't have much, I watched as my grandmother gave all she had. She was volunteering in her community. She worked at Central State Mental Health Hospital. Even people who from the church who fell on hard times would come live with us until they got back on their feet. So I'll never forget at a young age, my grandmother had a stroke and became a quadriplegic. And having to sit at my dining room table with my aunt, trying to decide if we're gonna pay for our mortgage that month or for the medications keeping my grandmother alive. Wow. Mm -hmm. So wow. that I like to say is the moment that my journey for governor began. Wow. So listening to your um, background and that struggle, how did you press on? How did you overcome those type of challenges? So one of the things that being from a place like Petersburg teaches you is resourcefulness and resilience that no one is gonna look out for you, you have to look out for yourself. You know, things that my grandparents taught me, my grandfather said, if you start something, you better finish it, right? You know, so all of those type of things instilled a, a willpower in me, a grit, a fortitude that I was able to then translate to go to Virginia Military Institute and become one of the first women to ever graduate from one of the top military colleges in this country. That taught me that that service of putting you know, service above self, I would do that by being a public defender, representing people 100% below the poverty line, people with mental illness and substance abuse, people who look like you and I, right? Where the criminal justice system works one way for the wealthy and well-connected, but another way for black, brown, and other marginalized communities. To be a foster mom, helping kids who have been abused, traumatized, and neglected, to be a community organizer. So that's the difference. Some people talk about it, I lived it. And I have dedicated my entire life to service and, help, and fighting for those who can't fight for themselves. And we're gonna need a fighter if we're really talking about uh, bouncing back from this COVID-19 and this, this, this pandemic and this global recession that we're facing. Well, that's true. I believe, I do believe that we do need um, a certain type of person um, to lead us um, in Virginia and throughout the United States. It's time for a fresh new, um, perspective because business as usual, I feel is not working. And being that the challenge of graduating from a military school, right? As a woman, as an African-American woman, 
what was that like? Because I feel like you have to have, you have to be a certain type of person <laughs> to do that anyway. And then the challenge of being a person of color and a woman. So how, how was that? Yeah. So let me tell you, going from Petersburg, which is majority all black to, you know, Virginia Military Institute that has its roots uh, deeply embedded in the Confederacy, um, you know, never have I seen some of the things I saw, never have I experienced the things that I've experienced, never have been called some of the names I, I was called. So it's just kind of going to and through those two things, you know, was stark. But I always say that a maturation happened for me at VMI. A part of myself, I've always, I would, I left there um, mm -hmm. because I had to grow up and grow up very quickly and see how the world operated, how the world saw me. That when I walk into rooms, I'm automatically charged with making pe people feel comfortable and working against stereotypes. You know, like when even when people say things like "she's so articulate," people fail to understand that that's not a compliment. No. Right? What am I supposed to sound like? And so having these type of encounters and understanding that I have to be, like my grandma taught me, you know, twice as prepared to be get half as far, right? Mm. Work twice as hard to, to get what mm. everyone else is already getting. I mean, it's just all of those things I learned and, I, and, and it taught me how to be, you know, how to be, how to have resourcefulness and resilience and have that grit and determination and fortitude. So even as a legislator, it helped me passing my bills in a bipartisan mm. fashion, not caring if you have a D-I-R-R beside your name. The, the goal is to get the job done, to plan and execute, to accomplish the mission. So focusing on that and then focusing on like bringing my community with me. That's why, you know, I was down in Petersburg yesterday, mm. you know, reminding people, this is where I've come from. Look at the streets. These are the streets I walked. See these blighted abandoned buildings? That's, you know, those are where my friends, you know, lived. And these schools that's not accredited, we only have one accredited school in the entire city. That's where I went to school. So helping to uplift this narrative because I'm not, it's not about me, it's about us. And it's about our communities that have been ignored, neglected, and left behind for too long. So I want people to know I'm not just running for governor. We are running for governor because I'm going to bring my entire community with me. Well, you know, that's it's very well said. And I just have that because there were a couple of things in listening that really caught my ear. And one is service. Um, and I think you, you're probably the second person that, I mean, no, we've been blessed to have, you know, we had Kwasim Rashid on uh, when he was running. Um, and he helped really change my opinion. And uh, two things. So service, your, your service, how do you feel or how do you see yourself? You know, when you say we, you know, are running for governor, what in that point of service that you 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 talk so highly about, what what can you do to show us or or really make our community feel like you know you are here to serve us and in, and in turn help us help work together with you to support you absolutely so i can say that you know one of the frustrating things is that when i talk to young people especially and they say i don't vote or i don't do politics or you know my vote doesn't count and i'm like you know that pothole you hit on your way to this barbershop that's politics this job you work making eight dollars an hour that's politics right you you having or had to go to a school with where you didn't have books to take home to do homework that's politics politics is everything around you and so if you you don't like something you can continue to complain or like in the words of my grandmother what are you going to do about it 
right? Wow. Your due has to be vote. Mm. It has to be vote people who are not looking out mm. for the people who need the most help, the most vulnerable amongst us, uplifting those communities. Because I can tell you people in Petersburg, Portsmouth, and Pulaski are not feeling like, oh, the GDP and the stock market is rising and everyone is doing well. They're not feeling that, <laughs> right? And so when I say right. we and us, it's about, you know, all the communities who have you know, not been able to reach that middle class, make family sustaining wages, work one job, put food on the table, send their kids to safe, well-funded schools. You know, they're sitting in traffic for two hours going 20 miles. All of these communities, right? All of the issues that we've had for the past several decades that have not been addressed. I'm bringing all of us with us, with me, to the governor's mansion because you will always be on my mind with every decision I make, every bill and budget I pass. Because that's what happens when you have, you know, a person who's not a corporate lobbyist or, you know, a 42 year, you know, multimillionaire politician. Right. You don't have to empathize. Mm -hmm. I understand because I've mm -hmm. gone without health care. I have mm -hmm. worked minimum wage jobs. I felt the pain of being hungry. So I move with a different type of energy and with a different sense of urgency than other individuals. So that's what it means. It means when you look at your family, I'm looking at your family and I'm fighting for them just as hard as you are. Okay, that that's, and again, I'm not sitting here trying to get anyone or any listener to sway one way or the other. Personally, for me, that's something that I needed to hear. And I'm going to ask the second part uh, of my second question that really stood out to me. Um, you mentioned bipartisanship. Now, for me, um, I think bipartisanship is trash. I think it's a it's a code word that we've gotten comfortable using and throwing around because I don't think bipartisanship works. You mentioned, you know, working together, whether you have an R or a D before your name or after your name. Again, I, I'm only talking about me. I'm not trying to sway anybody. But how do you think you're going to be able to get that to work? Because what I've seen over the last couple of administrations, mm -hmm. that doesn't so, work. So how do you see how do you see yourself making that? So one of the that ways that, that I pivot? saw that was most significant was with Governor Northam. He was... He is our Democratic governor. And when he was first elected, we still had a majority Republican General Assembly. But because of two things, the respect and relationships he had built, the Republicans were willing to give him Medicaid expansion. Now, it did have a lot to do with self-preservation, let's be clear, because they almost lost 15 seats in the majority in the General Assembly. So a lot had to do with that also. But at the end of the day, they could have dug in their heels. And I could tell you that if they had a divisive governor leading, they would not have made that an opportunity. They would have found a workaround. They would have done something different. I could tell you that as a freshman, you know, the, the Republican speaker put me on courts of justice, which is a very um, notable committee to be on. Oftentimes, you're not put on there. I mean, I know some legislators who are attorneys who've been fighting for almost a decade to be on courts of justice. You know, I was able to pass bills while in the minority, substantive bills in the minority, um, just as almost just as many as I did in the majority. And it, again, it's because, you know, for me, I try to find ways we can work together because I identify the fact that Republicans represent millions of people just like I do. And a lot of the things that I fight for helps the people who come from their communities. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of people who won't vote for me, right? My working families earn income tax credit, making that refundable. It don't necessarily help only people who live in black and brown communities. It really helps the people in Southwestern rural Virginia who make $20,000 or less and file taxes. 
right? And so I've had people, you know, come up to me and say, Jen, you're fighting for, you know, unions and you're fighting for, you know, this working families, refundable earned income tax credit. You're fighting for these things that for people who oftentimes will not vote for you. That's not the charge. My charge is to uplift everyone, right? There is no caveat. You know, I have to ensure that everyone wins. I won't only be the democratic governor, I'll be everyone's governor. So I have to bring them along, whether you voted for me or not, I am still here to protect you and your family and improve your quality of life. Because at some point, you know, people will understand that I'm just principled and I'm just trying to do the right thing. So if I can bring Republicans and independents along, I will, but let me be clear, I will never negotiate my values, right? And if we cannot work in a bipartisan fashion, then I will move forward. I made a very clear statement when I was fighting for the Equal Rights Amendment. I stood up and I said, listen, you know, Republicans specifically, there's there's some things we can disagree about, right? Education, funding, transportation. But when we're talking about women's equality, I will not be moved. So if I can't change your mind on women's equality, then I promise you this, I will change your seat. So that is how I, I operate. Well, I will, I will give you kudos. Um, and no, and, I, and, I, and I'm not saying it to be funny. Your clear explanation for me is very clear. You are here to serve the people. Doesn't matter what side of the aisle they sit on. And I appreciate that because I think we need more of that. And I do, I support you 200% in the sense of your values at your core, that's who you are. And those things should never be moved. And they should never be compromised. And to me, that just shows me how much of a, a value as an individual you are, the person that you are, the genuine article. And I think that's what a lot of us as people of color really need to start looking at. Stop looking at the D or the R or the I. Look at the individual. Look at the genuine article. What is that person's value going to be? And you hit it because a lot of times what we talk about on this platform you know, I do understand, you know, we're, we're doing a lot of things for the black community, but our, our community is not totally and solely black. Uh, what we bring is really for everyone in the community. And I really uh, enjoy hearing what you just said, because everyone, it doesn't matter who you are, what color you are. You know, you have a, a person in Jer Jennifer Carroll Foy that I think um, can be on the verge of doing great things here. But I'm not <laughs> well, here this way. You're doing a good job, bro. I mean, you are in this because of <laughs> Not here to sway nobody. They're saying she she <laughs> opened up my ears and okay my thought process. So you know, I just want to share that. But if, if listeners, if y'all haven't been and you're just tuning in, we're here today with a very special guest. Uh, we're talking about history in the making with uh, Jennifer Carroll Foy. She's running for governor here in Virginia. This woman uh, is really enlightened me and uh, changed some of my personal opinions. Um, but we're going to dive right into the second set of questions with, you know, you mentioned also a lot of our listeners may not know your background and your history. You know, you talked about VMI um, and what that was like, you know, coming out of military school. And then you transitioned into becoming a public defender. You know, talk to us, you know, like, why did you decide to become a public defender? Like, what was that? What was yeah, that? So let me be clear. About? My family definitely wanted me to work at Weishu Law Firm and go make some real money. Right. They keep saying I'm nothing but a social worker with a law degree. <laughs> but this is what I live for is what I enjoy. So after I got my law degree, I actually 
did some civil litigation work. Um, I was a magistrate judicial officer, actually, uh, or otherwise known as a magistrate judge. So I would, law enforcement officers would come to me for arrest warrants and search warrants and bond hearings. So what I realized very quickly, because I was working in Richmond at the time, that, you know, we have a two-tier criminal justice system here in Virginia. We have one that works well for the well-connected and the wealthy, and one works very differently for Black, Brown, and marginalized communities. In Virginia, you are more likely to be in jail pre-trial. That means without having found guilty of anything and be there for weeks or months at a time if you are Black, innocent, and poor than if you're white, wealthy, and guilty. Wow. Justice for profit system here in Virginia, and it's problematic and it's single handedly contributed the most to mass incarceration. So I looked and I said, you know what, I can continue to do this and be a part of the issue or I can become a public defender and be a part of the solution because everyone deserves zealous, competent representation. And my goal is to have like I tell my clients, I don't ever want to see you again. My job is for you to never come back. And so not treating them as just a client or a number, but figuring out how did you get here? Okay, you have a mental illness, so we need to get you connected with medications and services. You have a substance abuse issue, then we need to get you into some type of treatment program, find some type of inpatient program to get, get, you, get you services so you can stop stealing to feed your habit. Because we fail to realize here in Virginia, we can't incarcerate ourselves out of addiction, right? It's a mental health issue. Oh, so, right. you know, all of those type of things, I mean, I could tell you, one of the saddest things I had to do was I had a 12 year old boy when I was in Arlington and he walked into a store, put on a coat and walked out. It was snow on the ground. Come to find out dad was in jail. Mom was nowhere to be found. And I, I looked at Max and well, what happened? What'd you do? And he said, I, I was cold and I didn't know what else to do. But mm. when I at his home, he had no electricity. There was no one there to be found. So should we, you know, should he really be a convicted felon? Because no. that quote at that time was over $200. I mean, think about it. The systems have failed him. His parents have failed him. Schools have failed him. Society has failed him, right? And now we're going to label him a convicted felon no. as if we're really going to give him a jumpstart on life. So, I mean, I can't say that I would do anything different. So that's what it's about. It's about having people who understand, you know, the errors in our laws and our practices and our policies that need to change. So we are not continuing this generational poverty and cyclical door of people coming in and out of the criminal justice system where some people have been profiting. Um, you know, that ends and that ends under care for administration. So that's why, you know, I, I went from doing that to doing this. I always wanted to be a part of the solution. I always want to bring my voice and to fight and to advocate um, for those who can't fight and advocate for themselves. And that will just lend itself to me now running for governor. You know, be, before you go, Lee, before you ask, there was something that in that that I don't know why. And I don't know if Jennifer can answer, um, you know, dealing in law as a public defender. Virginia has a lot of antiquated laws. I mean, our country has antiquated laws. You know, is there a way or as a citizen, I, I just wonder, just listening to you, how do we revert? reverse those antiquated laws or get them removed from the books because a lot of times they use those against people in the black and brown community and you know is there a way maybe you can kind of educate us on that like you know is there steps or things that we as citizens can do to whether it be uh writing in uh you know some type of uh, petition or things like that 
uh, to get our public defenders and, and attorneys and lawyers to move on? Yeah, changing absolutely. Some of these That's laws? a wonderful question. Um, what we do is that, yes, we advocate for our legislators who are down there, you know, passing good bills and hopefully killing bad ones to find those places in the law that's rooted in Jim Crow and the residuals of, you know, black codes and, and get them out. Right. And so minimum wage is one of those things. Like mm. typically a lot of the jobs that were held by majority black people got, were paid the, the least and weren't included when you're talking about, you know, elevating uh, the minimum wage. So that's why like restaurant workers tipped tip workers and things like that you know that's your bell hops and your restaurant workers and all of that that is those are the residuals of jim crow so that's why we have to have a true minimum wage bill that brings everyone along domestic workers you know food service workers restaurant workers everybody and so that's that's what has to happen and like right now we don't have a real 15 dollars minimum wage bill we have a bill that gets us to 15 dollars in 2026 which exactly it, it's not what it's supposed to be we need $15 now. It's tied to the index. So inflation goes up, our wages go up. That's what needs to happen. So we just need people to lean on these legislators, hold their feet you know, to the fire, hold them accountable. Like our families are hurting. Why are we being asked to raise families off $11 an hour, $10 an hour? It just cannot be done, especially in Northern Virginia. So yes, that is the way to do it. And then put a person in the governor seat in the executive position who knows what that's like because she's working in a wage shop and she is committed to making sure no one else has to go around making seven dollars and 25 cents an hour yeah that 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 whole story about the 12 year old just has me in some kind of way because yeah this the yeah is this the situation with um just blanket um sentencing and blanket charging we don't see the history or the background it doesn't matter why you went and got a coat we just know that you stole a 200 dollars coat so at 12 you become a felon is there some way that that can just like i guess because the public defender office is so starved they don't have the tenacity or the heart that you mm -hmm. have and understanding of the greater good like we need to find that so is there a way that um we can change the way that the public defender's office is funded so they can have just a surplus just as much as the prosecution because they seem to have a surplus of money and resources where the public mm -hmm. defender's office seems to me, in my opinion and my experience, a little starved and a little overwhelmed and mm -hmm. underfunded. Listen, you are speaking to the choir right here. There'll be so many <laughs> public defenders, they're like, oh my gosh, I wanna vote for her. <laughs> you are speaking nothing but facts. And that's absolutely true. With this false tough on crime narrative, so many legislators in the past have been willing and so many localities have been willing to throw so much money at the prosecutors, but then starve the public defenders. But they don't understand our job is to hold the state accountable. It's to ensure that people's constitutional rights are being protected. My job is just as important, if not more than a prosecutor, because I have a heavier lift. Because my job is to ensure that this person never comes back, that their needs are being met, that fairness, justice, and equality happens in the courtroom when the laws and oftentimes the judges and the prosecutors are stacked against them. So it is more work to do what we're doing. Um, and we are definitely not paid anywhere in parity with the prosecutors. So I'm excited to say like, 
entities like Justice Forward, um, they're fighting to ensure that public defenders offices are funded on an equity scale as, as prosecutor offices are. So we can continue to attack the retrain and, and retain top talented lawyers who are gonna continue to zealously and competently represent um, you know, people in our communities. So I'm proud to say I passed the bill to, ex to put a public defender's office in Prince William County, the majority minority county, second most populous county in the Commonwealth, and we didn't have a public defender's office. And it's one that's gonna be funded well, we're gonna have a sentencing advocate, we're gonna have an investigator, we're gonna have all of these things that people need in order to have their case represented well, and then to ensure that people who have other supplemental needs, those needs are met. So getting, it's as simple as a person is on SSI or disability, getting that application in before they're released from jail so they have the check waiting on them when they get out. So we're not just sending them out on the streets, right? Things like that have to happen. I mean, you gotta set our returning citizens up for success and not failure if you don't wanna see them again. That's true. That is true. And that was, that was good. I hope that um, that, that uh, concept can sweep through the state and through the nation eventually, because that is a good concept. If we give a fair playing field, you know, because if you're poor and you can't afford this, like you said before, you're sitting in jail, not because you're guilty, it's just because you're poor, you know? Mm -hmm. So that, that mm -hmm. I'm, I'm for that fight. <laughs> All right. All day long. I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. So that that well. Anyway, moving forward, Miss Foy, because it seemed like we could talk to you forever. I just love to. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I know. I know you blacked out for a minute because that was a personal question. That was a personal question. So go ahead. <laughs> I saw you black out for a minute. Go ahead. I just feel like nah, go ahead. Really I mean, you know. and unfortunately, in these times, we always get these textbook answers, these robot, you know, answers, right. and we don't relate to our candidates. And it goes back to the younger people telling you, you know, I'm not into politics, I don't vote because we're so turned off by years of career politicians that just do not have that touch that like death tone to the community, you know, right. um, tone death, right. excuse me, to the community. So I'm just off on a tingy, but anyway, go ahead, Dan. <laughs> no, yeah, no. So, you know, mm -hmm. I'm with you, you know, and I, and I think this is, this, I yeah. thank her for joining us on this platform. You know, we get to see her in it, you know, not to say you're not Jennifer Carol, Carol Foy, but as Jennifer, you know, not, you are running for governor, but to see you as a person. Uh, we lose, we have lost a lot of sight and touch on that. And uh, this platform hopefully will bring light to that. It has for me. I'm just going to be honest. I was kind of like what Lisa said, initially feeling like, eh, this might be, we might be going down that cookie cutter uh, road. But I'm glad that you're, you're open, you're candid. I, I love your smile. I love your energy, uh, you, your banter with us. So I'm just going to jump in. You know, you're currently on this historic run. And, you know, talk to our listeners if you could about your platform like what is jennifer's full platform or what can they expect from you yeah that's a great question forward? and so um you know what i tell people is don't listen to the rhetoric uh check the record and so what i am going to do is continue to build on the major successes that i've had so i've passed the most robust package of bills to help women workers and unions in virginia's history so helping to end pregnancy discrimination the equal rights amendment um passing bills to end wage theft where employers were misclassifying workers, denying them health care and stealing, you know, taxes from the state. You know, all of those type of things 
you know, it's clear that I'm fighting for equity, diversifying the teacher workforce, chief co-patriot in the Crown Act. So uh, brown and black women can no longer be fired, and men can no longer be fired for what natural grows out of our scalp. That's right, right? This is how we naturally appear in the work world. You can't tell me it's the problem. It's, it's something wrong with it. So, you know, reducing black and brown mm. girls and boys school push out where some of our children who had braids and locks were being told you cannot come back to school until you take them out. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely yeah. not. We refuse to have our kids to continue to be targeted and embarrassed and shamed for their culture and adherence to their religion because hijabs is a part of that. You can't yes. make a child take it off. Mm -hmm. So making sure our dress codes are rooted in equity. So I will continue to build on that in Virginia. Right now, my top two priorities will be getting shots in arms and people in jobs. So mm -hmm. building a successful post-COVID economy is my number one concern. And I do that by bringing diverse high-paying jobs to every corner of the Commonwealth. Also ending the digital divide. So I have to tell you, you know, broadband access is just important today as electricity was to people decades ago. Right. right? I can't get these jobs, mm -hmm. these manufacturing headquarters, these data centers, supply centers to Virginia without in access to the internet. We right. can expand telemedicine, telehealth, you name it. It all goes back to access to the internet. So I will have 97% of all Virginia covered by high-speed internet by the end of my administration. Good. Also, access to early childhood education for every three and four-year-old in Virginia and making a full day. So that way it'll have the dual purpose of addressing childcare needs for our families who are struggling with accessibility and affordability. And then also helping to end that educational divide that starts as early as the age of three. Yes. So those are my top three priorities uh, going in as governor. And those are some big issues wow. too. Uh, those big issues. No, they really are. There's one of the things that she she hit on. I, I just gotta ask. You know, you talk about vaccinations. We hear the nightmares going on across this country. And I'm trying to be as nice and sensitive as possible. Like, do you do you really see a plan like playing out? Where everyone is going to be vaccinated within a time frame uh, that's going to be uh, safe enough for us to return to some form of normalcy before the year is out. I'm a forever optimist, so I want to say yes, right? But I listen. I have some aunties. I have some uncles who they like. I ain't getting that vaccine. <laughs> this uncle is asking because this uncle is not signing up just yet. No. But go ahead. <laughs> One of the things that I'm hearing is, you know, listen, Jen, Tuskegee experiment, that was in the 70s, right? We remember Fannie Lou Hamer going in to get, I think it was a cyst removed and them taking out her uterus. So the whole distrust for behind government, I, I understand. I get it. And, you know, it it is there and it's, it is prevalent. Um, and so I know a lot of people are, you know, going back and forth about it. Some people in type of positions they need to, they must, because even if it's not an issue for you, it's an issue that you can spread it to other people who are, you know, immune compromised mm -hmm. or, or whatever it may mm -hmm. have you. But, you know, it is, it's a hard, it's a hard call. Um, I think we have to try to, you know, get as many people vaccinated as possible, um, herd immunity, getting as close to that as possible, because that's the only way that people will start feeling safe enough to come back out and start, you know, getting to our new normal, right? birthdays can be celebrated you know people can actually go into the store to get their food i mean all of those things and that'll help the industries that's hurting the most our tourism our entertainment our retail 
our hospitality industries. And majority of those industries are made up of black and brown communities. So it's all mm -hmm. interrelated. And so that's why I am trying my best to be supportive of and trying to get as many people to take it. I think that some people are saying, well, let's, I go get that first batch. Let me see what number three and number four look like. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, <laughs> let's wait till batch nine or 10. Let's see where we're at. I mean, I'm not trying to be funny or anything like, but yeah, count me out. You know, I, I want to wait and no, no disrespect. I want to see anybody yeah. get a third ear or a second. No, yeah. like, yeah, I want to wait. I'm sorry. And then with this whole new, uh, these two new batches, I mean, we going like COVID-19 or COVID-23 or whatever it is with all of this. I want to wait. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, that's just me personally. But I know but at some point you got to get back to some type of take the vaccine, right? We want to make sure that the vaccine is readily available for them right. because we know we see some challenges mm -hmm. um, in the state of Virginia mm -hmm. about, you know, having a vaccine and having it available to those who would like to be in the first day, first, second, or third batch. Mm -hmm. But they're having those challenges. Is that something that's um, state or is that federal getting the vaccine? It's actually both. So, um, and let me be clear, I want to encourage as many people as possible to get the vaccine. Um, um, and so we need to move in that direction. But it's both in that we need the vaccines from the federal government. Okay. And, but the state, we need to be ready when we get them. And so that's why I'm really excited and I supported the, the bill that came through the General Assembly that expanded the number of people who can give shots in arms. Um, and then next, we need to make sure we have those systems in place where we have large places, stadiums, coliseums, wherever, where people can go. We have a constant rotation of people just coming in and getting those shots. Okay. So we just have to have that system that's, that's ready. You know, many people are complaining about the appointments and, you know, then they're running out and everything else, but we'll get there. We'll get there. So it's about the federal government being able to ascertain the vaccines, getting them to us, and then the state, it's our job to execute and implement a plan that, that makes sense and make sure that we can constantly keep people on a rotation of, of getting shots in arms. Right, because there's plenty, there are plenty of people that want to, you know, get the vaccine for the majority. Um, there's some, but there's plenty that would like to have the vaccine. We just want to make sure that it's readily available if you're, you know. That's all I want. You know, that at the end of the day. At the end of the day, for those who want to do it, please do not <laughs> listen to me. I'm just saying. I'm just being honest. Because I'm just being 100%. I do believe we all, and, and this is, again, this is my, mm -hmm. we all will need the vaccine at some point. I am just a later than most. Mm -hmm. so you want the back of the line after we don't I, pull I, it so hard. Yeah, look, I, look, I'll be so happy. Look, I'll be happy to hold up. Yeah. <laughs> look here. Look, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes it's good to be last. Sometimes it's good to be last. I'm cool with that. I'm cool oh. with that. Not a problem. But do not, do not let me sway you people in all honesty and all sincerity. We're, we're laughing and having fun with it. If it is something that you choose or you desire to do, then I wholeheartedly suggest that you do it. At some point, I do believe, myself included, it's going to have to mm -hmm. have, I'm going to have to have mm -hmm. it. It's going to be needed. We're just having fun with it because I am that uncle. Just, that, just, <laughs> hell no. You count me up. Just saying right now, just right now. So thank you, Jennifer, for, for that. And, and I support that. And I hope Virginia can move forward. You know, we like Lisa just eloquently said, you know, a lot of states we see in the news are, we're, we're finding batches of this vaccine that has not been delivered. 
uh, I don't want to say stolen, but being hidden in, in sites unknown and not being delivered to those who need it. So I hope that, you know, when, like you said, when you win, you'll be able to go ahead and forge ahead with a great plan to get it out to all of our community, not just the black and brown, all of our community and all make it accessible for all of us. So we have to do also a better job of speaking to the people in in our community who do have that distrust of the government. Um, And, you know, I mean, we just, we just, we have to acknowledge it and recognize that people do see the number of disparity and they're like, why? And it's like, we'll ask questions, right? And let's, let's get in there and target it. But the, the people who do want access, that's why disclosure information is so important because we need to make sure that these vaccinations are being distributed in an equitable way. And if we don't have that demographic information, we can't say that. And we know it can be done because North Carolina has like almost a hundred percent of reporting of their demographic. So we in Virginia have to do better and mandate disclosure so we can say all of our communities are getting it as they should. Okay, that makes sense. That I know we kept you. Um, thank you for your time. But in order for you to actually be on the um, slate to become a candidate to run for governor, we have to sign a... Um, what is it like a petition or what do we need to do to um, get your name? So to let our listeners know what they need to do um, to get you on this ballot. <clears throat> Absolutely. So there's a petition that's out there. Um, and let's see, I believe you can go to my website, jennifercarolfoy.com and it'll tell you exactly where to go to get the petition. You just sign your name on there electronically and you send it back to us and that will count. So as many people to get us on the ballot as possible, it'll be great. Jennifer All right, listeners. So look, for those of you that are living here in Virginia, you know what to do. You just heard it from Jennifer. Those listeners that may be listening from out of state, if you got aunties, uncles, mamas, cousins that live in Virginia, give them Carol Foy's information. Get them educated on what they need to do to help this woman and this sister make this historic run here in Virginia. Um, uh, I have been educated and my eyes are now open, Jennifer. I'll be honest with you. I thank you so much for sharing, you know, your story with us. Uh, <laughs> I had a good time. Right? I, I tried <laughs> very yeah, well, great time. I had a great time. Um, so in closing, before we actually, is there anything else coming up on your schedule, uh, that you'd like to share with our listeners, you know, that they can see you, follow you, where you're going to be at in the community, anything like that. Please take a few minutes to share Absolutely. that with So us if you go we to my website, jennifercarolfoy.com, we have a listing of all the places we're going to be and all the events and virtual events that we're going to have. So you could come and ask me questions and have community conversations because I want to hear from all of you. So I want to make sure that we get to meet and that'll be a great time to have it. And if you could donate to the campaign, that would be fantastic. Uh, We're running a grassroots people power campaign. So your donations matter, your voice matter. And so help us meet this historic moment and go to jennifercarolfoy.com and give what you can. Thank you so much. Oh, you are quite welcome. It's been our pleasure. And please y'all go jennifercarolfoy.com and check her out. Get all that money, get that donation out there. Help this sister, help this queen go ahead and go out there and, and make history uh, here in Virginia and in America. You know, this, this will be a huge first. So, at least before we go, 
You got good. Anything? I just thought this was great. Um, thank you, uh, Ms. Carol Foy, Jennifer Carol Foy, for joining us. Uh, it's always a pleasure. I, I learn something new every time, you know, that I hear you. I, it's always good to get a tidbit of your candidates in her heart and their inner journey just to see, because you kind of got a gauge meter. We think we do, all of us. And um, so it's <laughs> right. always good when you learn something new and you hear something genuine. That's more important for me than anything else. We may not always agree on policy, but at least um, the genuineness for me is what drives my vote all the time, almost 100% of the time. So I do thank you for that. And I thank you for the meet and greets. I was, um, I'm hosting one March 8th. So you guys, if you wanted to get on March 8th with us and get a little more intimate and uh, do a meet and greet with Ms. Carol Foy, we're gonna drop the link below and come on through. I'm support, I'm throwing my support behind Jennifer Carol Foy. And you just got endorsed, girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say, you know, generally, you know, I try to stay in the in the in between. You've done a great job of giving me something to think about. And I will say, you know, two mics up is happy to have you. You are always welcome here as a guest, as our next governor. Uh, I'm not here. People don't listen to me. Don't go out and vote because Dame said so. Go out and vote because you are picking the best candidate that's doing the most for you and your community. And if you walk away with what I just said, I think you heard that here today. So Jennifer, continue success. If there's anything that we can do for you, please let us know. Anytime you want to come back, please reach out. Let us know. We'd be happy to have you on. And, you know, just continue success. We'll be watching you, uh, not from afar, but from close up, you know, and, and we will uh, continue to do what we can to support yes. you. In the future. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So, listeners, stay tuned. You know, we are going to be coming again later on this week with the live. We're going to... Uh, you know, we're bringing something a little different. Lisa and I have been arguing and, and fighting back and forth behind the scenes. Uh, but I think we always talk about the men, and Lisa brought up a good point. So you guys stay tuned uh, for this next live coming up. Uh, you'll be seeing a few more drops and commercials, but stay tuned. As always, you can follow Two Mics Up online at www.twomicsup.com. You can follow us across social media, IG, Facebook, and Twitter at Two Mics Up. And like we always do at this time, stay safe, stay blessed. Mike's out. out.